I refused to use that at school because I thought um, of the anti-gun lobby message that perhaps came through in that, and I thought, man, that's kind of a, a, rough, uh, a rough story to share with a, uh, with a hunting crowd. Um, but I, uh, I, I reread that, that story, and I thought, you know, that's really not at all uh, an anti-gun lobby message. That's a story about what we wanted to talk about this morning. And on your chairs there in front of you, you've got this, you've got this, uh, this uh, paper. There are 40 of these laying around. It says, I'll remove that rock heart, rock hard heart of yours and replace it with one that's sensitive to me. And, uh, and so that story, the blue heron, is all about that. It's recognizing the heart, a hard heart that, um, that's unmoving uh, and unbending and unyielding. And uh, Danny, I'm going to work on slowing down, not talking quite so fast, so that you can understand every word I say. And because me and Gina told me to. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. There's uh, this is a great, great idea that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want you to imagine. And I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm lousy with technology and, and slow to the mark, but what you imagine with me, it would have been fun to have some video clips, but that's not where I live, and, and I kind of don't do technology real well. Uh, but I want you to imagine for a minute some, some movies that you've seen. Uh, let's start with imagining the Star Wars, the opening of Star Wars. You remember when, when uh, the projection is made, um, uh, Princess Leia is talking, and she's, she's crying out for help. You remember that? R2-D2 comes. I can't remember who it goes to, but, but the, the projection is on the screen. It's all blurry and fuzzy, and, and it kind of cuts in and cuts out. And help me, help us, help us. The alliance is against us, right? Got that? And then, uh, then think for a minute about uh, the Lord of the Rings, right? The Fellowship. And the ring comes to the Shire, and, and who's going to, to take care of this task? We need help. Somebody has to step in and do this. Somebody has to live this adventure. And we could talk about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, uh, and, and the children, and, and, and that whole story, and the adventure there, and how, how there's, there's help needed in all of those. And even John Wayne, on occasion, needed some help. You know, you didn't hear him very often cry out for it, but then uh, Jason Bourne, right, today. I mean, that guy, he needs a lot of help, but he doesn't say it either. In all of our stories, there's that place, there's that, that, that acknowledgement that we come to, that we need help. And, and, uh, and so it is with this passage in Ezekiel that we want to focus on this morning, the passage that, uh, that I just held up in front of you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. It's been a long time. The fall, the covenants, wonderings, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, kings, obedience, disobedience, prophets, complaining, lack of vision, vision, priests, idolatry, captivity. And it is right there, the tail end of Israel's recorded history. All of those things that we find Ezekiel. About the year 600 B.C., right before God became silent and there was no more written, that we see Ezekiel prophesying, speaking, ministering to a group of people, longing for deliverance, longing for hope, 
longing for a new life, but their hearts, the heart of their nation, had for a long time been diseased, had become hard. And then in Ezekiel 36, the prophet speaks an incredible message. He speaks of the people coming home. He speaks of a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Oh my gosh. This is exciting news. It's exciting for the people then, and it should be exciting for the people today. Because it's an ongoing message. It's a message of hope for them, but for all ages. He speaks. Will we hear? <laughs> he promises. Will we accept? One of our problems as people is our inability to recognize what we need. What we want is easily recognized. Right? I've got a long list of what I want. But sometimes it takes Gina to remind me of what I need. It takes people around me to remind me of what I need and to kind of forget a little bit about what I want. What do I need? What do I need as a person to impact the world that God has put me in, that he's blessed me with? Gina was telling me this morning about a, a coal miner. She, I don't know if, you, if she heard this this week or read it. Uh, so this old coal miner um, comes home from work one day, and he's got, uh, he's living, he lives in company housing on the coal mine. Uh, some of you are familiar with that from the oil fields and, and sometimes railroad housing and different places where companies provide homes for people to live in. And they all look the same, smell the same, are the same, they're on the same street, built the same. Uh, and so he, he walks up on the porch of his, his, uh, his house and he, he, he reaches down and, and uh, takes the doorknob with, with coal grinding hands and he turns the knob and opens the door, and he's dirty from work, and he goes in, and he heats up his soup, and takes his piece of bread for dinner, and he sits down and says, all of this, all of this, he's giving thanks, and he says, all of this, and even Jesus. And she was just, we were just talking this morning, she was telling me that, and, and, and our conversation was about this idea. What a heart reflected in that old coal mine. Because what I think and what I know about coal miners and, and sometimes railroad railroaders and oil field workers and some of those situations, you know, Blanco, it was not a real substantial life that they lived. Yet he looks at that and says, all of this, and even Jesus, that's a heart, not of stone, but a heart that's been softened, a heart of flesh. Help us. Help us. At the age of 16, Shay Brown was diagnosed with cancer. She underwent chemotherapy and survived, but her heart was damaged severely. Over the years, her heart became weaker and weaker until in 2012 it was necessary to put Shay on a heart transplant list. On May 20th, 2014, some 14 months later, Shay was given a new heart, which gave her new hope 
and a new life. She was about 36 at the time. A new fresh heart to replace an old, worn out, broken one that enabled her to live. To experience life in a whole new way. She told her doctors in the recovery room that day after they asked her what she wanted to do. She said, I hope someday to run a marathon. According to the John Hopkins Medical Library, you might need a heart transplant. This is not Jeff, Jeff Foxworth, right? You might need a heart transplant <laughs> if, right? This is serious, really, from, the, uh, from John, John Hopkins, right? Not Jeff Foxworth. You might need a heart transplant if your heart is failing severely in its attempt to pump blood through the body. It means no other treatments are working. End-stage heart failure is the final stage of heart failure. Despite its name, a diagnosis of heart failure does not mean the heart is about to stop beating. The term failure means that the heart muscle is failing to pump blood normally because it is damaged or very weak, or both. Some causes for heart failure include heart attack, viral infection, heart, high blood pressure, heart valve disease, heart defects, or the heart muscle becomes enlarged, thick, and stiff. There it is. A thick, enlarged, stiff, hard, unbending heart. Physical as well as spiritual. And neither one sound healthy, do they? No. Neither one sound like the one I want to possess. <laughs> what causes it in the physical case? We know. It's exercise, diet, and genetics that greatly determine and affect heart health. What causes it in the spiritual case? I think the same thing. Diet, exercise, and genetics. Reading, praying, and meditating, focusing on God's Word are the main diet for a healthy spiritual heart. In Matthew 4, Matthew 4, I'm going to read a passage to you this morning. Because a model, a model of a healthy heart is none other than our friend, model, and Savior Jesus. Right? You just can't beat Him for healthy heart habits, right? Yep. So what does he do? Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, start verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was serious about heart. 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered with a scripture. It's written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth 
Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The model of Jesus and the prescription for protecting our hearts is right there in that model that he just gave us. Right there in the encounter he had with Satan. Every time, day in and day out, situation after situation, it's always the same. The Word has a message for us to maintain a healthy heart and healthy relationships spiritually. Allowing ourselves to be used, shaped, and molded by God in the furnace of relationships, which He will use to teach us as we work, live, and fellowship in opportunities we are given, is the exercise we need to keep our hearts healthy, our spiritual hearts. It's in, it's in exercising our spiritual hearts in relationships that we really grow, that we learn about ourselves and what we need, and we see the shortcoming. In fact, I can share a text with you this morning that I had with Gina that reflects something about my heart, a conversation about the way I talk, about the way I speak, that doesn't communicate well. I won't share that with you. But I could, I would, I, you know, I'm not ashamed to, because I have to apologize. Right? Don't you hate that? Guys, <laughs> on Sunday morning, you have to apologize on the way to church, Man, especially when you're speaking about it, right? Um, but it's in those, in, in those relationships that we exercise our, our spiritual heart of what we know, what the Word has taught us. The Word, the truths that lie in our hearts come out every day, day in and day out, right out of here, right into somebody's heart, into their ears. And they take it in one way or another. So the perspective, maybe that they come from, affects how they hear me. But how I say it affects how they hear me. What I say, it's all important. And that's the spiritual exercise that we see that makes us better, that, that impacts our spiritual hearts. You know that person at work or school that you're avoiding? There's just some heart exercise. Some spiritual heart exercise. Watch tomorrow. You watch and you listen and you pray before, right? Yeah. And be ready to enter a conversation or a moment. So it might not be a conversation. It might, it might be a moment when God can use them to teach you. Mm -hmm. Not you to teach them. Yeah. See, there's kind of a difference. We kind of put that cart before the horse, right? I've got something to say to him. Yeah. Right? That, that's kind of how I sometimes come to those things. Students, listen to me. Instead of 
listening to the heart of a kid when they come in, or a colleague when they come in. See, it's sometimes listening that needs to precede speaking. In my world, in my life, I need that heart exercise. Jesus' entire ministry was just that thing. The spiritual heart exercise of loving and interacting with people. The exercise of discipline of seeing them as the Father saw them. John, the book of John is full of that kind of language. What I do, what I see the Father doing is what I do. Right? He was spiritually exercising his heart. Um, Share a couple of stories. You guys just shout out a couple of encounters Jesus had with people. Just give me one. Woman at the well. The woman at the well. John chapter 4. Where was Jesus going when he encountered the woman at the well? He wasn't going anywhere. He was passing through Samaria. I think he was on his way to Jerusalem. But he's passing through Samaria, right? And he encounters a woman that had come to get some water. And he begins to exercise that spiritual heart, that spiritual relationship heart of his that he was called to. And he begins to talk to her and listen to her. And they had a conversation about her life. And you know what? She went away. How did she go away feeling? One word. Good. Accepted. Wow. Right? She had no doubt when she left his presence that she was better for it. That, that somebody accepted her. That somebody loved her. Another one. Give me another encounter with somebody. Jesus encountering somebody. Zacchaeus. The wee little man. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to call him that when I see him someday. I'm going to just go like this. Hi, Zacchaeus. You know, uh, the wheel of Adam's seat, climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord bring him to see, right? And, uh, and Jesus is coming through, you know, followed by a crowd of people. He had all kinds of stuff to do, but he comes through and he sees Zacchaeus up there in the tree and he says, hey, hey, fella. He says, buddy, come here. And I can just, I can just kind of see him. Catherine, come up here. Come here. I can just see him. Catherine's kind of short like Zacchaeus, but she'll change that someday. It's changing, all right? So I can just see him. I can just see Jesus coming. So she's climbed down from the tree. And I can just see him looking at her, maybe looking at like this. I want to come to your house today. Right? And it wasn't like, can I come to your house today? It's like, I'm going to come to your house today. Right? Did you see her smile? I'm not really going to come. I won't eat all your food. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah. When Jesus stepped into somebody's life, they knew somebody had stepped into their life. And it wasn't bells and whistles and fireworks. It was just a loving, caring, spiritually healthy heart that he developed. Because he knew the heart of God. And that's what God is. A loving Father who cares for His creation, for His children. And so Jesus comes and models that. We could, we, we could go on and on. The rich young ruler, 
right? They say, well, that turned out really different. The rich young ruler went away sad. It says he was sad. Yeah. Kind of his choice, right? Yeah. I think he was sad because he knew he wasn't willing to do at that time. I firmly think he was one of the guys in Acts, chapter 2, mm -hmm. right? 4. You know, how, how the whole beginning of the church. I think he was probably there, yeah. right? But that's speculation on my part. At this point, he went away sad. Because he wasn't ready to yield his heart to that. But he didn't go away feeling unloved, I think, by any stretch. Or demeaned. Throughout the Gospels and into the book of Acts, we see the promise Ezekiel spoke of coming into play in an extremely powerful manner in the human theater. It's unfolding drama after drama after drama with Peter and Paul and James and John and all of these people all over that part of the world, hearts are being touched. New hearts. Hearts of stone are melting. Can you imagine 400 years and the people of God have not heard from Him? Woo! And all of a sudden, the Spirit sweeps in, the Holy Spirit there on the day of Pentecost, and, and things begin to change. Well, you know, Jesus kind of was the precursor for that, right? And He kind of set the stage. But man, things begin to explode with people. And they were transformed. And they rocked the world. I didn't really start the timer, but I had to look at the time and I just kind of want to keep an eye on that and not go too far crazy. Right? <laughs> um, I was going to tell you a story about a time I worked for the railroad. And uh, uh, I'm going to do a, a real abbreviated version of that. But basically, it was I got called to, to, to the, the uh, regional. Director of operations. So there are like four of these guys on the whole railroad. Yeah, this is a powerful guy. I was serving an apprenticeship in Texas, and this guy calls me to his office one day. I think, man, I'm kind of walking tall all the way down there. And I got to the, I got up to this door, and I, I started to open the door, and, and he goes like this, and he's got a, his red face is red, and he's angry, and he's cussing on the phone, just you know, cussing, screaming up one side and down the other. And, and, uh, and he slams the phone down, and then he starts cussing at me. And I kind of just stepped in the door, and, and, and I just kind of, whoa, I kind of stopped my high step in then, right? And so he's really reading me the right act, and I just turned around and started walking out the door. And, 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 and he said, where do you think you're going? And I said, well, I don't, I mean, I think you've got the wrong person. But, uh, I, don't, I didn't do anything to you, and I don't deserve to be talked to like that. And so I was like 20 years old, right? I'm talking to one of the most, you know, 10 most powerful people on the Santa Fe Railroad, and I'm walking out of his office. And he says, get in here, you know, with some other expletives, and, and sit down. And so I kind of backed up and, and sat down, and we began to talk, and he told me what his problem was. I'd missed three days of work in a year and a half. And he thought they were unexcused, and I don't know why I took special leave. Well, I, I think I do. My dad was a supervisor in Dallas who worked under this guy. And so I think he was, you know, this was his way of really maybe crafting, you know, a new railroader, you know. And, and, uh, and so he thought, well, he'll get his, uh, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll kind of really mentor me the way he thinks I need to be mentored. So, um, so anyway, long story short, um, I, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, um, railroading, this is a great job, but this is not my life. Priority. At that time in my life, I had a really soft heart for God. I really, you know, I listened to God and, and was really 
I just had a soft heart. And so I wasn't afraid to say these things and, and told him that. And what, that, what happened as a result of that, by no expertise of mine, he began to open up. He began to talk. And I never went, that was at lunch, and I never went back to my post that day. I sat in his office for the next four hours. And he talked, and he cried. This powerful man cried right in front of me. And he talked about a son who had gotten involved in the occult. And he talked about his, his marriage that was disintegrating. And he talked about all these things. I was 20 years old. Right? I mean, uh, I don't understand all of that. Other than to think that's a story for this day. Right? And I, I, will, I will hasten to say that uh, um, since then, uh, I've had a lot of occasions and more times than I can count since then. I'm sad to say that that uh, that came along in my heart was hard. It wasn't in the place. And I didn't listen. And I didn't honor what was being said to me. Because my heart wasn't hard. It wasn't soft like it was at that point. And I'm sad. But I'm excited that, you know, uh, I get a renewed mind and get the opportunity to, to make it better all the time. And it's a constant struggle for me. It's a constant battle to listen to the soft heart and to love with a caring spirit. But I know that's what is promised. And I know that it's possible. But it's hard work. It's not an easy task to take on a hard heart. After a long illness, Alyssa Miller died at the age of 24. She died on May 20th, 2013. Alyssa had chosen to be an organ donor, so when she passed away, her heart was removed and transplanted to the disease, to replace the diseased heart of a woman named Shay Brown. Remember Shay? Mm -hmm. Had cancer when she was 16, now she's 36, and Alyssa comes along. And the same day that Alyssa died, Shay lived. In June of 2016, Alyssa's family traveled to Texas where Shay lived. They wanted to meet the recipient of their daughter's heart. On the second day they were there, Alyssa's mom said, Shay, I have a request. Could I hear my daughter's heart beating? And she said, yes. She was prepared for that question, so she had a stethoscope there. She was a dental hygienist. She pulled out that stethoscope and let Eva and Fred hear their daughter. Beating in her chest. A new heart, a transplanted heart. <laughs> and they grew to love each other. On October 8th, just a few weeks ago, Shay Brown went to the went to Chicago and ran in the in the Chicago Marathon. And she crossed the finish line. She crossed the finish line, Ron, holding hands 
man named Fred Miller. Oh, this is dead. Perhaps a powerful story of a heart transplant. And that's the power that God wants us to live with in our power of our transplanted heart. He's transplanted. He's given us his heart to cross the finish lines day after day, whatever marathon it is, to hold hands with him. Because he's given us that new heart. Just like Fred's daughter gave Shay a new heart. May we accept the offer of a new heart. It's not easy. Heart transplants are painful. And they take a lot of rehabilitation. And they take a lot of work. And they take a lot of work on our diets and on our exercise. But it can be done. My encouragement to you this week is to find, to find someone and talk about the condition of your heart. Because every one of us in this room has a place. Maybe not your whole heart, but a part that needs to work, that needs to be dealt with. What is it for you? I don't know. That's my encouragement. It's for you to kind of wrestle with that, to deal with that, to deal with God. Ask him. Ask your wife if you want to. Because right? she'll tell you. Mine will. And I'm going to tell her. <laughs> you know, we have those kind of relationships, right? But seek. Deeply seek. God's guidance in that. And it might be someone. It might be a friend. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your kids. Declares the sovereign Lord, be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. 
to make us new, to make us powerful, to make us impactful in our worlds, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers. May you be blessed as you go about the hard work of the week. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and thank you for making promises such as this morning's message. God, a new heart. May we claim, may we claim ownership. And may we allow our hearts to undergo the work that you want to do in us. God, may we listen carefully, closely this week. And God, thank you for the opportunities, even in advance, to make us better, to make us more healthy, to make us more like you. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. There are no closing songs. So, BJ told me I could tell you that you're dismissed. Bless you. Have a good week.